Well, I'm Vanessa Bennett. I'm a priest in an Anglican church in Australia. I'm married with two rescue cats um, who are really cute. Um, I play squash competitively. I love reading uh, and I enjoy uh, going camping with uh, Paul. We enjoy going camping in national parks because we love seeing the wildlife there. Um, so the birds and the, the wallabies and you know, they come out at, at you know, dawn and dusk while, while we're camping in the midst and sort of just away from crowds. So yeah, this is some of the things that yeah, something about me. Let's start with your two rescue cats. Yeah. They bring a certain smile to your face. They obviously love them very much. How did they choose you? How did you find them? The first one, Micah, he's turning two next week. Uh, we had an older cat that had, had passed away uh, a year ago and uh, the, the house just seemed so empty without him. So I thought I'd go and give myself a fix. To, so go to the RSPCA and just um, enjoy the cats out there and um, this black fluffy cat sort of came out and was just pouring at the door to come out and, and join me and the people out there said oh that's really unusual that he's letting you pick him up and so he just yeah he just took to me so um, I signed up to bring him home and then I arrived home and uh, went just went out the back and there was this little ball of fluff and just bolted off the the deck um, uh, multicoloured um, ball of fluff and uh, so I went out to check and under the deck there was a mother and uh, this was probably the last of the litter that was left and so we ended up um, catching her and so now she's part of our, our, the, the family too and they get on really well. The name's Micah because he's a black cat um, and both Paul and I are scientists in back by our backgrounds, uh, Micah being a a black mineral thought that would fit and it is also a play on uh, the name of Micah the prophet in the Old Testament and so since we had a already had a, a name for one from the Old Testament we thought we'd better give uh, the girl one as well so she's Esther uh, named after uh, the book in the Old Testament as well. Do Micah and Esther run the house? Yes they do. <laughs> They're just gorgeous. They're so cute that they get away with everything. <laughs> and you mentioned the fact that you play squash. So obviously all of you reverends are just lovely, calm, caring, kind beings and no competitive nature about you at all. That's right, isn't it? Um, yeah, not if you ask my opposition, no. <laughs> What do you like as a squash player? Playing squash just gets my mind off everything else. I guess in in ministry, there's a lot of intense and difficult and traumatic things that you can be part of just as you're walking with people. And it, squash is a completely complete outlet. Um, so I can bash that little black ball around and whatever frustrations or anger or upset might might be there because of things that I've experienced in ministry, I can just let it all out on the, on the squash court. Let me say that doesn't mean I'm a bad sport. <laughs> what level did you play at or do you play at? Uh, I have played in the World Championships uh, going back to 1990 when the World Championships were held in Sydney. So I've played at that level and played state one level in uh, in New South Wales for many years. Uh, I, I'm a little bit older than that now so I'm just I'm playing in a local competition here at a grade two level which is great 
so you're involved in sport and you're involved in the church and they're traditionally quite male environs aren't they so as a role model do, do you see yourself leading the way a bit I guess so just breaking the mold and stereotypes that that people have um, around um, gender and and who who you're meant to be so it, it does um, it also means that some with just breaking some of the um, the barriers that some men have had to women in ministry for me to have an interest in sport and they find that there's that commonality that just helps to, them to get to know me as a person as well and realize oh hey this is someone I can actually relate to after all you know I didn't think I'd be able to relate to a female um, vicar but you know she, you know, she's you know she's not too bad and you know I've got a, a one of the parishioners here has got me some cricket t- tickets to the cricket so um, yeah so really looking forward to that. Do you support any other teams? Are you interested in any other sports? I'm interested in sport generally. So, yeah, in Victoria now, of course, you have to be a, an AFL supporter. Yes, I follow the Swans um, in the AFL. Um, we also follow the NRL and uh, the uh, rugby union and any time Australia is playing any sport. Um, but I am a cricket tragic particularly, yeah. <laughs> When it comes to your congregation, you've mentioned that you can connect to them through sport. Is that is that required? Do you find that there are other peripheral conversations that need to be had to keep people engaged in the church? I think as a church, we need to be constantly thinking about how we're connecting with our community. And historically, people came to the church because it was the centre of community. You know, the, the dances where people met each other in, 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 a, in a previous generation were held in the church. Uh, it was the, the social hub. So that's no longer the case. And so we need to think about, well, how do we go out and connect with the community? They're not just going to come in to us, but we need to go out and connect. So there is a mind shift and a culture shift that that needs to to take place and it takes time to bring about those sort of uh, of shifts and you were the first female vicar at Mm. st thomas's weren't you so do you think that people expected different things from you that they had from your predecessors i think one of the things that people have been used to a male when they hear that a female is coming usually there's a bit of um shock and uh and resistance um from some But I found that over time with each of the places I've gone, when they see me in action, um, as they get to know me, uh, I've seen the shifts. And sometimes some of those who were um, most upset about a woman coming end up being the most vocally supportive. It's just taking those steps and being prepared. I'm going to to have to face some resistance at first, but let's just get on with the ministry and, and let God be God. Has it always been the case that you've been able to be female and follow your career path? Have you come across obstacles? I'm thinking about Sydney. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, definitely, because that's where I began in ministry. Uh, but I did face a lot of opposition there. So although I, I was supported by my rector there in when I was first uh, beginning, I began in lay ministry and he supported me in the process of being ordained as a deacon there. Um, that's a, You can't be ordained priest. Uh, but even being ordained deacon, the fact that I was involved in preaching and leading, um, there, there are many in that diocese that don't think women should have that sort of role. And so whenever I went to clergy conferences, 
I'd find, uh, first of all, I'd be assumed, it'd be assumed that I was a clergy wife. Um, and then when they found out that I was actually the clergy, um, there'd be a certain amount of ostracism. And I'd sit down at the dinner table and the other clergymen around just would not even engage in conversation. Um, uh, when I presented a paper um, at a class, most of them didn't come that day to hear that paper that I'd presented. I was actually bu- also bullied out of a position when there was a change of rector um, who didn't tell people he was not supportive of women in ministry, but when he took on the role behind the scenes, he then um, bullied me out of uh, the ministry. I can say two, eight, eight years later, um, he's no longer in the ministry, so um, you know there is a little bit of vindication there, but yeah, it's it's painful though in the process, particularly with um, yeah the the bullying does have its impacts. Why did you carry on then? Why, when you were being treated like that, why did you pursue that career and that line of work? It's because the strong call of God that I had in my life, um, which started right back from when I became a Christian uh, in my teen years, as I looked at the evidence of who Jesus was and weighing up, you know, look, if he really is who he's claimed to be, then this means giving my whole life to him and I had a real sense of calling then into the ministry right um, right from then. Um, it wasn't it, until one day when I someone said, oh, where, you know, what are you going to do now that you've finished school? I say, oh, I, I'm going to the ministry. And they went, but you can't, you're a woman. And that was the first time it sort of yeah, came across that. There's, there was a an older retired minister there who just overheard that conversation and just came up and very quietly said to me, said, look, you know, just keep following what God's calling you to and he'll open the doors. And uh, and that's been the case, that he has just opened those doors, even though there has been the opposition in a number of ways. I could I could add to the, what I've already said, but um, yeah, he has opened the doors and just confirmed um, that, yeah, this is what I'm meant to be doing. I find it quite interesting and, and feel a little bit sad sometimes. I hear stories that are so unchristian in a Christian organisation. Mm. Uh, it, it just blows my mind. That's one of the most disappointing and difficult aspects that I've that I found. You know, sometimes you expect bad behaviour from other quarters, but when it comes from within the church, when we're meant to be working together, and we're, it's, it's about sharing God's love with others and his grace and his compassion. Uh, and yet... Some people turn it into to something. It becomes about them. It becomes about power and position, and who has authority. Um, and I guess you know human nature is like that. You know, as they say, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it can happen anywhere, uh, including in the church. You said you became a Christian quite young, and you studied science. Yes. You're a scientist. Yes. Yeah. So how do those two work together, the religion and the science? I have a science degree majoring in climatology. So I studied climate science before it became um, the topic that it is today. So I've been interested in uh, global warming uh, since the early 80s, 1980s. Um, so uh, yeah, I, it, one of the things that frustrates me are climate change deniers, which um, yeah, I do have in my parish some, but uh, <laughs> yes, so so that's always interesting. No, um, I don't see there's any clash. Some people think, yeah, oh, you know, so, you know, science is about 
facts and therefore you know but faith isn't that just about I don't know the unknown who's you know how can you know God exists you can't prove it um in some ways you can prove it so my when I became a Christian I, I read um the evidence for Christ's resurrection so I looked at it I need facts I'm not um I'm not someone who would just jump when someone tells me jump I want to know why and so I did look up and you know, the historical evidence um, is very strong for, you know, Jesus existing, who he claimed to be. There, there are records outside the Bible about the things that he did, the miracles that, that he performed, uh, the fact that his grave was empty, uh, and there isn't an explanation given for that. Um, there are just so many other facts that tally with what we have in, in Scripture. So that was what convinced me that Jesus was who he, he was, Sometimes people say, oh, well, what about the creation story? You know, didn't God create the world in six days? And how does that fit with evolution? Genesis, in the first chapter of Genesis, is answering other creation stories. And basically it's saying, look, you worship the stars. Well, the God that we worship created them. If you look at it, uh, there were it says, let there be light on the first day of creation and then on the fourth day of creation, the sun and moon and stars were created. So there's a pattern in, in the story um, to answer the other creation stories of the, to- uh, of the time. God is a God who can create using all different processes and I'm quite comfortable with the process of evolution uh, being the process that he chose to use. Science and religion answer different questions. Science answers the how and what and when and then and religion answers the the why question and the meaning yeah that meaning of it so let's talk about climate change you said uh, you've been actively aware of climate change Mm -hmm. and studying it since the 80s what's your view on it now i see that it's happening faster than we expected back in the 80s and also one of the things that wasn't considered was the impact of the oceans and you know, with how much they might um, absorb uh, the carbon and, and, heat, and heat up. And that has huge, uh, much larger ramifications than what we were looking, about, looking at um, back then. So uh, I am concerned and frustrated with the lack of action uh, that our government has used, the, the governments in Australia have used it as a um, political point scoring issue and not re- and they just have not made any um, good policy decisions that think about the long term. It's more been about short term politics, getting the votes. Um, and in the meantime, decades have been going, go- have gone past without any action being taken. What's the worst case scenario? <sighs> worst case scenario. We will be looking at uh, rising oceans and a number of nations, and particularly poorer nations, are going to lose land. Uh, a lot of the Pacific Island, uh, Pacific Island leaders are calling out for Australia to, to take more action on this and be more of a voice on this issue because they're facing the reality already. Their land is already starting to, to disappear uh, under oceans. Um, places like Bangladesh, uh, we're talking about huge populations of people that will be needing 
somewhere to live. So uh, the refugee crises that we've seen so far, I think, will pale into insignificance compared to that caused by by climate change. And then there's the impacts it's going to have on crop production, you know, for feeding humanity. So um, I won't be here to see that by then, I hope. (laughs) How do you communicate those kind of concerns within your ministry or don't you? Is there politics in the pulpit or not? I do raise the issues and get people to think about them. Um, For me, God created this world. He's given it to us to care for and he cares about it and he wants us to care for it in the way he would. Every person is made in the image of God and so every person is of worth and dignity. And as as a church, we have a role to play in encouraging people to care for this world and engaging with them uh, in that. So working with those who are doing it and and being a voice for those who are are yet to come on on board, um, to speak up for those who don't have a voice in issues like with the asylum seekers, um, seeking um, a place to live, a place of safety, and that we can offer that. We can can open our arms to people that are in need and so I think yeah, I think that is a way we're not just to be in our little holy little huddle in church but to be out in the community reaching out and and being a, a voice for those who don't have one. When you're at a sporting event for example the cricket and uh, you're supporting your team in your nice genteel manner <laughs> do you wear your collar or are you completely incognito so nobody knows? <laughs> No, I, I wear my collar when I need to when I'm working. Um, but no, I don't uh, when I go to sporting events and other things. Um, although, you know, it's funny how, how when I was in, in Goulburn, being a smaller community, it didn't matter whether I wore my collar or not. Everyone knew who I was. Uh, so, there, you know, you're aware that um, you have a, have a role as, as the vicar and I was also the hospital ch- uh, chaplain there, the Protestant hospital chaplain. So I took a lot of the funerals uh, um, in Goulburn as well. So uh, yeah, I was aware that whenever I was in public, uh, I was there representing God in a sense that because um, they knew who I was. Um, but when I can be in, in Melbourne, it's a lot easier to be um, anonymous and being incognito. <laughs> You always wear the most amazing earrings. Why are they so important to you, having the earrings? For me, it's just been something of my personality, just a little something that's just a little bit out there. So when I was a high school teacher, you know, the, the students were like, oh, what earrings are you going to wear today? So they, that was a question. They always, oh, how many do you have? Because I kept coming with different different ones. So it was um, a point of intrigue and interest. And, and the same, it sort of just breaks the stereotype a bit, you know, the conservative clergy with uh, the collar and um, well that's also why I wear colourful shirts too and don't just wear the traditional black. And finally your favourite verse please. See that's a that's a really hard question you probably I don't know with other people you might find that too because it can depend on what's happening or what different stages of life um, it can be different things that have meaning at different points. You can have more than one if you want to. <laughs> Well, this is actually one that um, Paul and I had at our wedding that sort of holds us. It's it's a couple of of verses. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. For me, that's verse, the sense that God is love, is the source of pure, um, selfless love, um, unlike what we can find. Yeah, I, um, I come from a dysfunctional family, and so for me to, to know what God's love as a, my heavenly father was um, something that really overwhelmed me at the beginning, knowing that he would go to an incredible extent that you know, as the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, working together in you know, Christ giving his life, that he might defeat death for us in the resurrection and give us um, life eternal with him. Uh, that that love extending to such an extent because he loves us and wants us in relationship with him. I guess that, that's sort of been a burning passion uh, in in my life uh, since I became a Christian. That was a real thing that that has stood with me and uh, both Paul and I in our marriage and getting, in having that as at our wedding sort of find that it's God's love that centres us um, and gives us a reason to be reaching out with that love to other people. What kind of support does Paul give you? Is he the vicar's wife equivalent? <laughs> he has called himself the vicar's wife. Um, that was in Sydney Diocese when we went to, um, it was a, a dinner for all the ordinance who were about to be ordained together. The other ordinance were all male and they all were going up to Paul saying, oh, you must be one of us. And he'll go, no, that makes me one of them, does it? <laughs> and then um, uh, a bishop came up and said, oh, so who are you? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm the, the vicar's wife. <laughs> so, um, and so he'll joke about that. But uh, no, he has a, a, a role outside the church. He's a business analyst. Uh, but he has been supportive all the way through. Um, you know, when I was studying, I remember one other student saying, oh, your marriage is doomed because you're the one studying instead of your husband. And I thought, well, no, to begin with, my husband's the one who's encouraging me to actually study and be the person that God's called me to be. And he knew that right from before we got married. Uh, he knew that that's the call that God had on my life and he was supportive of that and willing to... Uh, walk with me in that and support me and encourage me when you know I was thinking oh should I really be doing this and he'd be there yep you can do this um, so he's been there all the all the way through and a great encouragement and support and a help at at church too so he'll do things behind the scenes with particularly in the music with music uh, and uh, and he's he's a great cook so he does all the cooking if I had to cook it would be disaster so yeah he really looks after me <laughs> in so many ways so he's been great is he a christian definitely yes yeah he actually grew up in an anglican clergyman's household uh and one of the other jokes he has he said you know you know all my life i grew up in my, and you know reverend bennett was my father and then it became my wife it's, it's very confusing this <laughs> i can feel your passion i it, it it runs right through you and i wonder if you could imagine life without it, imagine life if you hadn't have found Christianity and God. No, I can't. It, it, it is my whole being and purpose is, is um, being, 
is all that God has done for me. Um, in many respects, he's, he sort of rescued me out of a difficult situation and has given me life. And that life is something I want to share with others. Birds Who Praise, a Watchware Media production.